Welcome, film enthusiasts, cinephiles, and fellow time travelers to a captivating journey through the silver screen of the 1970s. For this episode of our A24 Vibe Discussions, we'll be dusting off some treasures from the era that brought us unforgivable stories, iconic characters, and groundbreaking filmmaking. The 1970s was a time of transformation, a cinematic revolution where directors pushed the boundaries of storytelling and challenged societal norms. So join me as we traverse the cinematic landscape of the past, revisiting the movies that left an indelible mark on the world of motion pictures. But I am not alone. In fact, we have a special guest joining us tonight. Our favorite local, world-renowned Brian De Palma expert, Ray Neiman, is back for another episode. He has graciously agreed to lend his expertise in all things film to this discussion, and we are happy to have him. Welcome, Ray. Did you uh, bring a beverage with you this fine evening? I did. I did. Uh, I was looking for um, the Clint Eastwood favorite beer of the 70s, Olympia, but they no longer sell it. But I'm drinking a 312 Lemonade Shandy. Just, uh, it's light. Uh, it'll get me uh, fired up for today's podcast. Not that I need much. Uh, <laughs> 1970s, I feel like... Uh, Grandpa Joe jumping on the bed when Charlie got that uh, Wonka ticket, so I, I'm ready to go, man. He's ready to go. And also joining us, you know him and you love him, Eric Kiska and Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. What are you drinking? Uh, yep, I'm Eric. I'm drinking a pina colada tonight since we're transporting back to the 70s, and I like drinking pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. I'm also outside right now, and it's about to start raining, so I hope all my audio recording equipment does not short out, so stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> All right, stay tuned indeed. Cole, what you got over there, bud? Uh, I am just drinking some nice ice-cold Coors Light this evening, so keeping it simple, keeping it fresh, living the dream. It cold as the Smokies. <laughs> Well, as I said in the intro, we are going to be discussing our favorite films and some of the top films from the 1970s. Just a reminder to the audience, the task is for each of us to come up with our own personal list, and uh, we will rank them 10 through 6, discuss, ramble, debate, etc. on each other's lists, and proceed to finish off with our top 10 or top 5 films, rinse and repeat, etc. There will be a section for honorable mentions, as well as a list from Ray on some of his top 10 favorite 70 movies we may not have heard of. So with all that in mind, let's jump right into it. Eric, I want you to start us off by telling the people at home why we picked the 1970s. Why is this such an important decade for film? Well, a lot of uh, people think of this as a golden age of film, and the 70s was really the rise of more anti-hero protagonists and complex characters in film, and it was a time where Hollywood really started taking more risks. Uh, you had like a film studio called United Artists that put out a lot of good experimental films. They were kind of like the A24 of the 70s. You had directors like Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, Stanley Kubrick, leading the way in terms of creativity and filmmaking. They were all auteurs in their own right, and outside of Alfred Hitchcock and few other people like Orson Welles, you didn't have a ton of directors with their own unique style in the decades uh, before that. 
And in the next decade, the 80s, you definitely had more popcorn flicks, uh, studios generally taking like less risk on experimental films. And also in the 80s, you had more like concrete good guys and bad guys. You had like Indiana Jones, uh, Marty McFly, and the villains in those films were the Nazis and Biff Tannen. Uh, but in the 70s, you had like Michael Corleone, Alex DeLarge, Travis Bickle, R.P. McMurphy. And the villains in those films were Nurse Ratched, an opposing mafia gang, the, uh, the British government, and they weren't much worse than our leading protagonists. They were slightly worse, so you could still root against them, but those anti-heroes made you question why you're rooting for these people to begin with. And uh, to finish up my point here, I think that actually was quite reminiscent of our country in the Nixon, Watergate, and Vietnam era. People started questioning authority a lot more, started asking if those in power really had the best intentions for us. We had more gray areas and complex characters in everyday life. We said goodbye to the John Waynes and Gary Coopers and Cary Grants of the 50s and welcomed uh, psychedelic drug usage and hippies. Uh, that kind of counterculture had really taken off in the late 60s and continued on into the 70s, and that definitely definitely correlated into the pop culture of the time and made people think more. And certain studios gave filmmakers more room to experiment because of it. Ray, they talk about the 1970s as the birth of the me generation, where they started moving away from that idea of maybe the good of the country and the good of the community into a little bit more of the individual liberties and some of the things that Eric was mentioning. Do you see a, a direct correlation with the films that we got uh, out of the time? I, th I think the movie that um, probably ushered in the 70s more than any is uh, wasn't even a 1970s movie. It was uh, Easy Rider from 1969. Mm. Uh, that yep. um, had a spirit of independent filmmaking. It um, had used music as an essential part of the soundtrack to tell the story. The bad guys were, I guess, the establishment. Uh, the good guys were the anti-establishment. Um, you know, it, it introduced a whole line of thinking. And uh, it's funny, when that movie came out, uh, one of the people who reviewed it uh, gave it a bad review. And uh, this critic got fired. Uh, because he was considered so off uh, of the times and behind things. And that critic uh, turned out to be Paul Schrader, who would go on to write mm. and direct films, some of the most prominent films of the 70s. But um, the studio uh, was run by, you know, 70 and 80-year-old men at the time, and they just didn't understand Easy Rider, but, and, but they understood the money it made. So they gave a bunch of young, upcoming talent, and, um, you know, Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg... Um, John Milius was in that group. De Palma, they, Scorsese, they were all friends. Uh, so they basically had uh, the keys to the candy store, and they had very little um, studio uh, interference, and they made movies that they wanted to see. They made movies that uh, their peers wanted to see, and they made movies for their friends. And it turns out that they were very talented, and they knew what they were doing, and I think because of that, we're all the better. So I don't know if it's the me generation. I, I, I do know that there was a, autonomy as a filmmakers probably had never experienced at that time and, and maybe have never experienced since. All right. Well, before we jump into these lists, Cole, is there anything else you um, associate with the 1970s in general when it comes to film and kind of just some of the other um, topics that we've been discussing on? Yeah, I would say like, uh, I guess my, uh, my, interpretation of the 1970s is there's a lot of um to me I, like i feel like the 70s really set the horror genre in terms of the slasher films 
Um, and we'll kind of get into that on my list. But if you think about all of these like iconic horror movie characters, they all came from the 70s from, you know, Halloween, um, Leatherface, Alien, Jaws. I mean, all these movies then sprung into, you know, make dozens afterwards that never quite lived up. But the 70s was definitely a, a, an awesome time of film and one that I'm very excited to dive deeper and share my my list with. Absolutely. And because you have the floor, Cole, I'm going to go ahead and just ask you right away to hit us with your 10 through 6, either your favorite or the best films from the 1970s. Okay, so my 10 through 6, um, I'll start at number 10. Uh, sticking with kind of the horror, um, it's a movie that I, when I first saw it, uh, I did not know what to think. I may have been a bit too young to quite fully grasp it, but it's Clockwork Orange. That is quite a uh, quite a film, um, one that I, I come back to now and I guess appreciate it a lot more. But man, that what that's a ride. The next one, number nine, uh, the Deer Hunter, another like uh, kind of a darker depiction, not the a bright sunny day type movie, but it's another movie about the Vietnam War and, uh, in my opinion, very well done. Uh, number eight is one that. I, I'm pretty sure some of you guys might have on your list. It's uh, One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think it's uh, one of the... Uh, Just One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but yeah. Yeah, One, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Very, very good. Uh, phenomenal actors in that film. Uh, great storyline. And then number seven, going in, continuing into kind of more of the comedy, is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, Life of Brian is is pretty good, but I don't know. Holy Grail has has a special place in my heart from growing up watching that. And then uh, number six, you got to give it to uh, to Sylvester Stallone with Rocky. I mean, he set it up his own movie franchise and has built an empire off of you know one storyline that he wrote and starred in, and truly, truly uh, phenomenal. So that's my my 10 through 6. There's your 10 through 6. All right. Um, And I think we'll save the discussion through the 10 through 6s after we all get through ours and kind of see where our comparisons are going to be. Ray, coming in hot, where are you sitting 10 through 6 on your top movies of 1970s? Uh, My number 10 is uh, actually a remake of a 1953 French film called The Wages of Fear. It's uh, William Freakin Sorcerer from 1977. Uh, It's... um, about a, a bunch of expats that are kind of in hiding in the South American jungle, and they get a job to deliver nitroglycerin through the jungle, and uh, it is uh, white-knuckle terror. It's amazing. Uh, my number nine is um, the critic who was fired for not liking Easy Rider, 1978's Blue Collar. It takes place in Detroit. It's about um, three auto workers corruption with the union uh they're struggling to make ends meet and so they decide to rob the union uh office uh let's see number eight from 1976 this is a movie that i can just constantly watch any time of day or night it makes me smile uh it's walter Matthau and tatum o'neill in the bad news bears number seven the best baseball movies of all time oh i no argument man oh Uh, so good Number seven, I'm not sure of the year, but I think it's 77, but it took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) And uh, that would be Star Wars. And number six, 
probably is uh, my favorite comedy of all time. I think it's brilliant on so many levels um, as a parody, as a satire, uh, as it, it, it's it's just divine. There, It's got something for everybody. It's 1974's Young Frankenstein. Yes. All right. So there's some good deep cuts in there, but you also have some, you know, some great classics in there as well all right i'm gonna hit my list before we get to eric's um and coming in at number 10 is um one of my favorite movies i ever have watched growing up it is a uh, comedy war film from 1970 starring clint eastwood Donald sutherland uh, and don rickles called kelly's heroes it's a uh, long story short they basically uh, in world war ii have found a large cache of gold behind enemy lines and Clint Eastwood uh, leads a ragtag group of, uh, we'll call them mercenaries, uh, of fortune, and they uh, go on a great adventure. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's a great movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check that out. Um, number nine is going to be 1979's Apocalypse Now, um, as far as considered one of the quintessential um, movies uh, theming the Vietnam War, uh, starring Marlon Brando, Martin Sheen, and company. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola is uh, the director of that. And we had um, talked earlier in our A24 about his daughter, Sofia Coppola, who directed The Bling Ring, which is an A24 film that we reviewed earlier in the season. Number eight for me is the 1970 movie MASH, which was based on the book earlier um, in the 60s that went on to spawn the the super famous syndicated television um, series that was on for forever but it all started with the movie in 1970 um, and really just did a great job of bringing kind of the again the comedies and the realities of war into a digestible format for a lot of the people watching it um, number seven for me uh, is going to be Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory um, starring Gene Wilder uh, that was one of those movies that uh, as far as growing up around feel-good type of films. Uh, that is definitely high, high, high on the list. It stands the test of time. Maybe it's something about Gene Wilder's performance, but there's just something incredibly unique about that movie and just kind of the way it has created multiple spinoffs and just we're seeing another creation even in 2023. Uh, again, just based off of you know good books and things like that. And number six is the 1978 film that launched John Travolta's career, well, at least part of it anyway, which would be the uh, singing, swinging, spectacular Grease. Uh, so that was Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta. Um, between that and Saturday Night Fever in 77, really launched uh, Travolta's career. Uh, Saturday Night Fever got Travolta a Oscar nomination at the age of 24, which at the time was pretty unheard of for someone his age um, getting that. So Grease is uh, timeless. It's a soundtrack that is going to be around for absolute forever um, and mostly just the way that that film was created. And that is my 10 through 6. We're going to move on. Eric, are you ready? Yes. All right, my friend. And Kevin... Yeah, your list is very different than mine. I do not have any of your films even in my top ten, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah, and again, these are old, and for our <laughs> yeah. listeners, this is because there's a good chance I have not seen any of the other ones, and so I'm not putting it on my list. Yeah. I've not seen the movie. So we'll get to that when we're done. Eric, go ahead. All right. Number ten, I have Halloween, 1978. This is where I'd mark the start of the slasher flick, directed by Cole's favorite director, John Carpenter. It was so delightfully campy that it was oddly artistic. And uh, in my opinion, Halloween has one of the top ten film soundtracks of all time. I will even go down to say uh, better than Star Wars. Uh, moving on. 
<laughs> Alien at number nine uh, from 1979. This might be my favorite blending of sci-fi and horror of the 70s and 80s. Definitely better than The Thing, Fuck You, Cole, along with a superb <gasps> performance by Sigourney Weaver. Wow. And my favorite, uh, this is my favorite Ridley Scott film of all time. Better than Gladiator. Uh, number eight, I got Harold and Maude, 1971. My favorite romance film of the 70s. It falls into the rom-com category, but the comedy is just so dark and well-written. Maybe my second favorite screenplay of the 70s behind my number one film overall, which we'll get to later. Number seven, I have The Exorcist, 1973. This film holds a special place in my heart as one of the first horror films I ever saw at the tender age of eight while growing up Catholic. It scared the bejesus out of me for years. I know nowadays this film isn't exactly considered scary, but it still holds a certain power over me. The directing by Friedkin is some of the best ever in the horror genre, and I love it. Number six, I got Star Wars, 1977. Gotta give props to the film that started the whole series and phenomenon. Empire Strikes Back was better, in my opinion, but when I watched the original, I tried to put myself in the mind of someone watching this world-altering, edge-of-your-seat film for the first time. It created movie history in 1977, and that really hits me right in my love for movies. Love it. Absolutely love it. But before we move on, gentlemen, is there any uh, any movies on anybody's list grab anyone's attention that you'd like to elaborate on, kind of discuss or uh, you know move forward with? Uh, first off, I just want to say, Eric, I don't know what all these like <laughs> sideways shots are coming from, but I don't appreciate it. Just, just one, no. the alien. I, I, I mentioned no. John Carpenter being yeah. your favorite director. Oh uh, yeah. I no, also just he, watched I the will... thing for the first time this past week, and I'm on Cole's team 100. Oh. No, it's hell phenomenal. yeah. You like that more than Alien? Um, or have you seen Alien? I'd have to put them up next to each other. That's a good question. Okay. It's on my to do list. I, was, <laughs> I think it's very interesting that. Pretty much all of I don't think any of us have the same ten through six movies at all, no. do we? We have, a, we have Star Wars. Well, yeah, Cole. Oh, well, yeah. yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, well, oh, that's not on Cole's list. Well, it might be, no. it might be higher, higher on Cole's right. list. Yeah. yeah, so let's let's not uh, you know spoil <laughs> um, that yet. Hey Ray, <laughs> yeah. can you that? What was your number ten movie? I'm interested oh. to. Oh, that's funny you mentioned. That. Okay, so number ten is a movie called Sorcerer. And originally, uh, it's it's directed by William Friedkin, and it's a remake, mm -hmm. like, like I said earlier, of Wages of Fear, his, one of his favorite movies. And uh, this was the movie that he made after The Exorcist. Warner Brothers, he made a fortune for Warner Brothers with The Exorcist. He basically got the keys to the studio. This is the movie he wanted to make. He had hired Steve McQueen for the lead. McQueen said... Um, yeah, I, I'm going to be out of the country. You know, I, I'm, I got just got married to Allie McGraw. She's got to be a producer on this movie. And Friedkin's like, nope. So McQueen passed. So the star of Sorcerer is actually somebody that he worked with in the French Connection, uh, Roy Scheider, who at the time was super successful because he had done Jaws in 75. So Sorcerer uh, was a, a, a labor of love. Uh, it went way over budget. The only star of note in the movie in in the in America is Roy Scheider, but he used foreign stars as well. Like the first hour of the movie, there's there's subtitles. I mean, it feels so much like an A24 movie. It's ridiculous. But the thing is, it opened, I want to say, a week or two weeks before Star Wars. 
and it got blown off the screen. Anything that was showing when Star Wars was in the building got taken down so they could show <laughs> Star Wars in, in, on multiple screens at the same time. Because back in the day, it wasn't like the multiplexes where you could just walk in and have 30 movies. Like a big cinema had like four. So, and most had two. And I know Eric had mentioned about, you know, um, the majesty of how Star Wars changed everything. Well, I'm here to tell you, I was seven years old and I saw Star Wars in the show and it, my wow. mind yeah. exploded, you know, the very mm -hmm. opening, um, John Williams score comes pumping out, you get the crawl and then you get the shot of the, uh, the Imperial storm, uh, starship coming across the screen, which was bigger than anything I had ever seen before in my life. And from, you mm -hmm. know, the first minute on, I was hooked on Star Wars and, on, you know, it destroyed Sorcerer. But I will say this, there's, there's, um, Sorcerer is getting a lot of love lately because it, it is an amazing movie that now, you know, is being restored and they're showing it. Uh, I, I actually have um, a, a beautiful remastered Blu-ray and, uh, it's amazing. And a neat thing, too, about Sorcerer is uh, the score is done by Tangerine Dream, who Friedkin discovered and loved. And so, so it's got like this prog synth rock score kicking in the back. And it's it's just awesome. As a matter of fact, it's so good that he said that he wished he had heard about Tangerine Dream because he wanted to use, he would have used them as opposed to Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which was huge in The Exorcist. Wow. And yeah. the fact and that the, we can link all these things together is probably what makes this generation even so much better because these all have, you know, small nuggets that kind of find ways to link all in with each other. Inspirations for A24 films. Ooh, um, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Exorcist, I would definitely say, influenced paranormal, ho paranormal horrors like Hereditary, The Black Coat's Daughter, and The Witch. Halloween definitely influenced slashers like X and Pearl. Uh, Alien, I think, could have like in kind of influenced the film we just reviewed, The Monster, to the point where the monster kind of looked like a the alien from mm -hmm. Alien. And also, we I, we haven't touched on Night of the Living Dead yet. I don't know if anybody has it on their list, but I mean that's a huge influence on like things like It Comes at Night and uh, is Night of the Living Dead seventies? It's, it's, right? it's, yes. it's no, it's sixty eight. It's it's sixty eight, oh, but okay. the sequel, I got, which I I considered was Dawn of yeah. the Dead, and that's seventy eight. Thank you. That's what it was. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, either way, yeah, I I think there's definitely a few films on this list that uh, definitely inspired a twenty four a twenty four films, especially in the horror genre. Uh, I'll say too, um, Blue Collar, which is a Paul Schrader movie, which is um, lean and mean, and it, it's just a little nasty piece of cinema. I know. Uh, mm. Does uh, Does Harmony Corinne does he do a lot of A twenty four stuff? He did Spring Breakers, right? It's Spring Breakers. Yeah. Oh yeah, that yeah. Uh, this would fall <laughs> right into that category for sure. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. It, it, it's got Richard Pryor in it doing a rare yeah. dramatic a performance lot. and. Uh, yeah, I, I, you, I let you watch that movie, yeah, right, Yeah, you gave Eric? that DVD yeah, to me at work, and yeah. I, I watched it. I enjoyed it very much. Harvey Keitel and Richard yeah. Pryor, yep. <laughs> yep. And Yafet Kato, who plays Parker in Alien. Again, full, full circle. circle. Oh, Hukuna yeah. Matata. Great. All connected. How about that? All right, Cole, you ready, buddy? One through five, or five through one, depending on how you want to do it. Yeah, so I'm going to do five through one. My number five is Halloween. So that's again, it's like quintessential slasher, like Eric said. Again, I'm a big horror horror movie buff, so I probably have it higher than most people. Uh, my number four is Taxi Driver. I saw that movie probably maybe five years ago for the first time, 
and uh, I really, really liked it. Wish I had seen it sooner. Um, disappointed in my family for not showing me better movies growing up. But yeah, really, really big fan of that one. Um, have come back and watched it a couple of times since then. Uh, number three is Star Wars A New Hope. I mean, that movie's absolutely awesome. I love sci-fi to a painful degree. So, and Star Wars is a big reason for that. So I, I have to have it way up there. My number two is Jaws. Uh, my dad showed me this when I was probably way too young and we had a pool. And after I watched that movie, I would not go anywhere near that thing to the point where <laughs> after several years, he said, if you don't get in the pool, I'm going to get rid of it. And sure enough, he took an axe to it one summer and we didn't have a pool anymore. So wow. uh, <laughs> Jaws, Jaws ruined my uh, childhood. But uh, I love that movie so much <laughs> coming back to it and uh, just the 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 music and everything about it was just so good. And then my number one is probably no surprise to anyone is uh, alien. I mean, I absolutely love, love um, those films and the sci-fi and the horror and the, and alien compared to aliens, you know, I had aliens in my, my eighties list, but I, I think I would put alien over it. I know a lot of people are vice versa, but I just love the slow burn and, and just kind of the, the thriller aspect of it where it's just this this one creature that is just you know a perfect killing machine slowly hunting down every single person in the in the uh, spaceship while the you know the sequel is more action-packed so both phenomenal but gotta give alien my number one man so i've decided that this upcoming halloween i'm going to finally catch up on everything that i've missed in my life when it comes to horror and starting with <laughs> the classic 70s slashers Hey, audience, I've never seen the original Halloween. I've never seen the original Alien. I've never seen the original Chainsaw Massacre. I've never seen The Exorcist. Like These are all things that I am fully willing to admit, but I have to get on board soon. Because you're right, these are the most influential horror films that went on to spawn everything that we love about A24. Definitely. Okay, Ray, you're up. All right, number five... Um... In my opinion, uh, there are two perfect screenplays that uh, just have so many twists and turns. Uh, one is 1985's Back to the Future. The next is 1973's Best Picture winner, The Sting, uh, with Paul Newman and uh, Robert Redford. Uh, Newman's my favorite actor. Redford's never been more charming. Great soundtrack. More twists and turns than a roller coaster. Uh, I just think it's it's a lot of fun. Great movie. Um them reuniting, too, after the success of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Same director, George Roy Hill. Uh, a lot to appreciate and enjoy. Uh, number four, uh, the first sequel to win Best Picture. Another Best Picture winner, uh, 1974's The Godfather Part Two. Uh, number three, uh, <laughs> another Best Picture. I'm going in order from 73 to 74 to 75, so how about that? Uh, 1975's Best Picture. This not only won Best Picture, but it won Best Actor, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Actress. And that's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which we've talked about previously. Uh, number two for me is a, a movie that uh, I showed my daughter to on winter break, and she lost her mind how much she loved it. And it makes me thrilled because there's uh, this TV show on HBO called White Lotus that shits all over this movie. And I don't understand how anybody could not think The Godfather is an almost perfect film because it is. And then uh, the number one, my number one favorite movie of the 70s, and I've probably seen it. Well, I know I've seen it more than any movie 
I've ever watched. And I, I watch it whenever, whenever I'm feeling down in the dumps, I'll put on a moment of it. It just makes me happy. Um, I saw it, they re released it, um, last summer and I actually saw a 3d restoration cut of it, which they, it, it wasn't shot in 3d proper, but they, uh, they sourced it and made it into a 3d version. And that's uh, 1975's Jaws, Steven Spielberg's classic, um, the best movie, you know, even better than Alien Cole, but you were close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you were going to put Godfather and Godfather 2 on your top five. I'm not disappointed that you made sure to keep them both in there because they were there. Yeah, to be. I mean, I sorry, audience. Also, never seen the Godfather. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. They're not. They're uh, not on my list. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes low-hanging fruit is low-hanging fruit for a reason. So, yeah, I. It was an easy but one for me. That's your point, though. That there's a reason that it's widely regarded as, you know, top five or top movie of all time. So, low-hanging fruit. Hey, listeners, if you are like me and haven't watched The Godfather or Godfather Part Two, go ahead and do so now. You all right. We got Father Part Three, though. Oh yeah, Part Three. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Don't watch Part Three. Don't watch Part Three. It's, not much it's time. so bad. <laughs> all right. So I guess that leaves it to me then before we get to Eric's uh, top five. So we've already beat this to death, but I'm only going to touch on it a little bit with Jaws. Um, we talked about Steven Spielberg and how this really launched his career. They're also winning three Academy Awards, right? Best editing, best dramatic score, and best sound. Those are the categories you not necessarily always associate with great films. Um, I will say, obviously, the best dramatic score by John Williams makes a whole lot of sense. That is the most iconic thing that I think we could probably think of when it comes to music and movies. Um, so there's no real other explanation for why Jaws is asked to be on that list. So number four for me is a, uh, a, a guilty pleasure movie that I have a great memory associated with as a kid. Um, and that it was a movie that my dad uh, rented for me when I was probably way too young to watch it uh, and wanted <laughs> me to kind of uh, experience his favorite comedy movie from the 1970s, and that would be National Lampoon's Animal House, 1978. Ah. John Belushi, Kevin Bacon <laughs> spawned uh, any number of slapstick comedies throughout the rest of the 70s and 80s, inspired you know every fraternity kid and college person under the sun to you know, slam a bottle of Jack and go streaking uh, or whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> National Lampoon's is just kind of holds a spot for me in cinematic history, just because again, it just is so iconic and just has so many different things that I always laugh about every single time I watch that film. All right. Number three is coming in, in 1973's enter the dragon, which is Bruce Lee, the birth oh, of modern wow. day Kung Fu. Um, hmm. That movie for me, I remember watching it for the very first time and just being like, wow, holy freaking crap bruce lee you are uh just a, an absolute beast and everything that's kind of spawned since that i mean it was the the beginning of kind of you know everything we see with modern day action films and at least a lot of the ways with a lot of the action sequences and things so that's a really important film in general and why it's high on my list um number two no surprise we've got star wars a brand new hope a brand new hope wow I think I've had enough to drink tonight. Uh, New Hope, 1977. Uh, no other explanation there. And my number one favorite film from 1970 is Mel Brooks's not Young Frankenstein, but Blazing Saddles. That's wow. right, 1974, yeah. Blazing Saddles. We uh, got two blockbusters out yeah. of that year. Blazing Saddles was released in February 7th of that year, and Young Frankenstein came out at the end in December of that year. So Mel Brooks had a banger of a year for um, great comedy releases. That movie is 
stands the test of time from a satire perspective, from dark comedy, from kind of showing what you can not necessarily get away with in cinema, but what you're allowed to kind of put onto the screen um, and digest as you will for what it is as art. So that's my top five favorite films from the 1970s. Eric, take us home. Interesting. All right, so number five, I have Taxi Driver from 1976, uh, one of the best performances of all time by Robert De Niro, and it's probably my second favorite Scorsese film behind Goodfellas, and the screenplay by Paul Schrader honestly probably predicted the psychology of mass shooters. Uh, I honestly think when I watch this film, I'm like, this is uh, the exact psychology of mass shooters from the late 90s on, and it's almost creepy to watch now. Uh, Number four, uh, The Godfather, 1972. Not as good as part two, in my opinion, but just like Star Wars, I respect the original so much and its impact on film that I can't not have it on my list. The uh, directing of Francis Ford Coppola had so much depth to it, and obviously Brando's performance in this whole ensemble cast, chef's kiss. Number three, I have A Clockwork Orange, 1971. This was oddly the first Stanley Kubrick film I ever watched, and holy fuck did it flip my world (laughs) upside down. (laughs) It poses a great philosophical question about how far is too far when it comes to criminal justice, and the aesthetic of this film, the cinematography, the science fiction world that is created is truly one of a kind, in my opinion. 2001 A Space Odyssey is probably my favorite Kubrick film. This is right behind Mm -hmm. it, though. Uh, Number two, The Godfather Part Two. This took all the themes of the first film and expanded them exponentially. I love the story of young Vito Corleone played by Robert Nero and how it really tells the story of the American immigrant in the early 1900s. It's more than a mafia film. It's a film about our country and uh, a film about the immigrant experience from the early 1900s on. Uh, And number one, this is my favorite film of all time with my favorite actor of all time. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, 1975. When I watched this my freshman year of high school, not long after I watched A Clockwork Orange, it changed my whole worldview. It's odd to talk about movies in that manner, but this film really encompasses any everything I love about movies and why I'm a film buff today, and I love Jack Nicholson. He's my favorite actor of all time. So, uh, at multiple levels, this one takes the cake for me. Boom. I love it. All right, now it's time for some honorable mentions. Anything on your guys' list that or didn't make it on, things that you kind of were like, eh, maybe I should have put it on there, maybe I didn't, or have a reason for it. Eric, why don't you start us off with any of your honorable mentions? Uh, Apocalypse Now, I definitely have up there. Um, I, I think it just, it's kind of extremely long film, and <laughs> at times just lags for me. And that actually is similar to Jaws, in my opinion. Uh, Jaws, I don't even have in my top ten, because I feel like I get... Kind of bored with Jaws. I'm sorry to say. I'm, maybe I'm just. I, I've watched too many uh, films like The Exorcist and Halloween to where well, when I watch I get, a four film, it doesn't even. I don't know. I get. What bored were you with, gonna say, Cole? I, I get bored with Godfather. It's too long. <laughs> yeah. There's too many well, that, parts. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chinatown. Uh, that's you know like one of the best like film noir films of all time. Uh, I just don't have it in my top ten. The French Connection. Monty Python, The Holy Grail, Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's one of my favorite guilty pleasures. Um, And then a few other uh, Pacino flicks, Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico. And the last one I'll say is uh, Breaking Away. That is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, That's phenomenal script. Phenomenal script. Definitely watch Breaking Away if you haven't. All right, Ray, you got any honorable mentions you want to throw in there? 
Well, right now I'm trying to regain my composure after uh, somebody was throwing. I, Jaws got a drive-by. <laughs> um, I don't know what's in that pina colada if it's got uh, r- rum or stupid juice. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know what, Eric? Um, the, I, I was I was waffling between sorcerer and breaking away from my number ten. So Great. I mean, you, yeah, you're you're ta- yeah, you that was a good choice. Um, I, I like Breaking Away too. Uh, Peter Yates directed Breaking Away, um, he, another movie that he has a, a, that uh, like is very little seen, but um, it stars Robert Mitchum from 1973. It's called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. It's about um, a heist gone bad, a kidnapping that occurs. I'm a huge fan, as I mentioned before, Phantom of the Paradise. I, I, I never get tired of giving that movie some shine. Um, it's no Rocky Horror because it's ten times better. But um, yeah. that's fair. How, how did that? How did that taste, Eric? <laughs> um, uh, a big fan of 1979's The China Syndrome. I just watched that a couple weeks ago. That's got Jack Lemmon, Jane Fonda, and Michael Douglas, and it has to deal with a potential uh, a nuclear meltdown at a, at a power station three mile. It's a three mile island, not not at Three Mile Island, but this actually almost happened at Three Mile Island in 1979 where the core almost got revealed. We would have had our own Chernobyl. And um, it's a fascinating movie. What's so cool about that too is there's no score. There's no Whoa. music underneath it. I, I don't know any other movies that, that have done that. No Country um, for Old Men is the only one that comes to mind, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's right. That's an awesome, oh, good one. Uh, I'm just... Uh, Walter Hill, I'm a big fan of Walter Hill movies. Uh, one of his... The first movie that he actually directed stars James Coburn and uh, uh, Charles Bronson is a bare knuckle fighter in the Depression, and it's called Hard Times. This used to be on like the eight o'clock movie all the time, and it's really it's really pretty impressive movie. Uh, uh, Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges made a movie together, uh, directed by Michael Cimino, who did The Deer Hunter, uh, called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Again, it's another heist movie. Uh, great movie. Uh, big fan of the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978 with Donald Sutherland. Uh, creepy AF. Uh, uh, unbelievable ending. And I know you guys are talking about horror films. If you haven't seen this, it's horror sci-fi, and it'll it'll blow your tops, man. And then um, just two more real – oh, three more really quick. Sorry. Um, we, we haven't mentioned this director, uh, Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, he did the last picture show in 71. I'm a huge fan of that. He followed that up with What's Up, Doc, with Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand, another great movie, screwball comedy. The one I'm going to talk about is Paper Moon with Ryan and Tatum O'Neill. You could do a lot worse. I mean, it's just, I don't want to say it's the perfect movie, but it, it's close. It's It's got a little bit of everything Uh you can't help but smile through throughout the entire movie. Uh, Tatum O'Neill won Best Supporting Actress, the uh, youngest person to ever win that award. Uh, finally, two more. Uh, 1977, uh, Travolta was nominated for Saturday Night Fever. Mm-hmm. He lost to Richard Dreyfuss who, in a movie, uh, Neil Simon's The Goodbye Girl. Uh, it's a sweet little romantic comedy. Uh, again, another movie that just... From the get-go, the the dialogue, the banter. And then last but not least on my list here, uh, and there's a lot, so thank you for bearing with me. Mm-hmm. It's a, 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 another convict uh, heist movie, and it stars Dustin Hoffman, and it's called Straight Time. He gets out of prison. He tries to go on the straight and narrow. His parole officer, who's played by M. Emmett Walsh, just starts giving him a hard time. So he's fed up with the system. So he gets together with his old buddies, played by Gary Busey and Harry Dean Stanton, and they're going to knock off a bank. It's um, 
written by Eddie Bunker, who was a former criminal himself. He turned to writing, and he plays Mr. Blue in uh, Reservoir Dogs. He kind of had a little bit of a niche in Hollywood for a while. So I know it's a lot, to, but those are some movies that I'd just like to point out that probably aren't as well-known as My Godfather and Godfather 2s, but you know they're no less deserving. So Well, I certainly hope some of our listeners take, um, take note of some of those movies, because you clearly are an expert in this, and I feel like they would probably stand to gain from watching some of these little unknown films from the 1970s, or at least ones that they'd be not as familiar with. Cole, do you have anything you want to throw in there for any uh, honorable mentions that we maybe didn't touch on? Yeah, um, the one that I uh, have on my list that I don't think we've touched on yet is actually a st- another Steven Spielberg film that came out in the 1970s. Um, it's also another sci-fi alien-based movie that I feel like didn't get you know the recognition it deserved, and that's The Close Encounters of a Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I yes. think it's a, a really, really solid film done by him that um, just doesn't give get the uh, recognition it deserves. So. That's really my, my only one that I didn't the hear only about. Omission, hey? So I, I don't have too many uh, as we kind of uh, hurtle towards the end of this thing. Uh, a couple of things that I want to throw in there would be 1972's Deliverance. Uh, I think that um, oh, yeah. definitely uh, it's iconic for a lot of different reasons, not just the banjo scene, but uh, that movie doesn't you know need too much more explanation. One of my favorite comedies of all time is um, 1977's Slapshot. Uh, teacher uh, featuring Paul oh. Newman. Oh my where, god! Uh, how did I miss that one? <laughs> yeah, my uh, just oh like god. you missed the Goonies, right? Yeah, so Jesus. I'm here for you, Cole. I got, I got you. Man, um, my dad's gonna kill me. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. We used to watch that movie on the hockey bus all the time, going down to road trips. It was just like popping. His dad in. played in the NHL. Uh, was it Don yeah. Gibson? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, your dad is gonna kill He was an uh, sure. enforcer and a goon, so uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's Literally. not gonna be happy. Slapshot. Yeah, either. if you uh, like hockey and you don't know what I'm talking about, people go watch Slapshot. Can't miss it. And then um, in that same vein, I <laughs> uh, can't miss it. Dave's a killer. Uh, in 1974's <laughs> Longest Yard, uh, Burt Reynolds um, on the original oh. Longest Yard flick that was redone yeah. uh, 30 years later uh, by Adam Sandler. Uh, so. Good, good old-fashioned Burt Reynolds oh. fun. Smoking the man. Of course, Carrie. On I'm sure we. Yeah, I don't think we actually mentioned Carrie. No, but, uh, Carrie's yeah, not on there. Yeah, the oh, De Palma yeah. stuff. Big De Palma. Yeah. Um, and then definitely uh, influences on A24. Paul Schrader wrote Taxi Driver, and Paul Schrader also wrote and directed First Reformed, which we'll be watching in a couple years here. And I almost feel like First Reformed is like an odd spiritual successor to Taxi Driver in some weird kind of fucked up way. Slightly different, though, but either way. And then One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, could claim some inspiration on all antiheroes in film, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. I think R.P. McMurphy as a character is probably the best antihero of all time. I didn't mean to jump on your uh, slap shot. There's just that great line where they say, Dave's a killer! And they go, Dave's a mess. <laughs> and uh, and again, that's uh, George Roy Hill and Paul Newman, That and that's them working together after the sting. Whoa, whoa. I'm going to give... I'm going to give one last shot to Cole. Deer Hunter fucking sucks. Fuck Deer Hunter. Whoa. <laughs> that is on a lot of people's lists. Fuck oh, you, damn. buddy. That's, that's like, way better. Why out. introduce Russian roulette into a Vietnam film? Like, it has nothing to do with it. And the whole wedding, like, first hour and a half, 
Like, come on. But they, they don't here. have revolvers in Vietnam. Come on. Come on. Come on. But that, they didn't do come Russian on. roulette in Vietnam. All right. It, it's just. It's just Way called roulette there. This has been another episode of A24 Vibe Discussions. <laughs> well, I think we did a pretty good job tonight, guys. Um, we have a lot of great discussion on a lot of great films. Hopefully, if you're listening and tuning in and you're enjoying our content and you can kind of relate some of these A24 films that we've been discussing in um, – to some of our favorite movies from the 1970s. If we missed anything, if you think that we need to add something to our list, please reach out to us on all of our social medias. Um, let us know, because you know we'll bring you on for the next list. 60s, 90s, you know, whatever it may come down to. Um, and if that's it, uh, this is Kevin K. Konkonachek for A24 on the Rocks. Signing off. Have a good night, everybody. Twenty-four-five discussion.